Last Sunday morning, I started a message, and I want to finish it today. I guess it's, a, it's kind of a two-week series, if you will. It's really one big message, but I want to tie it together, and I couldn't do it all in one week. Started talking about God's message in our world. God's message in our world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Talking about people. How much did he love the world? In the original writings, what it really says is, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The world is important to God. People are important to God. The next verse, John three seventeen, says that God did not send his son to condemn people, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That really is two of the most famous verses in the New Testament, and it really sets the stage for why Jesus came to our world. The world is important to God. So if the world is important to God, then the world needs to be important to us, the people of God. It needs to be important to you and to me. Last week, we asked the question, so so what has God been doing the last 2,000 years? Have you ever thought about that? Well, Jesus ascended almost 2,000 years ago. What's God been doing the last 2,000 years? I'll tell you what he's been doing. He's been trying to get his message to all the peoples of the earth. And we live in a day and an age when now we have the technology and the opportunity to do that. So last week... To just go back and recap, if you didn't hear the message, I encourage you, go online and listen to it because I gave a lot of detail that's important about historically the church, us as a church as well. But first of all, we talked about the Great Commission. Jesus, in the different Gospels in the first part of the book of Acts, gave us a commission as a church. He said, go into all the world, preach the Gospel, baptize people, make disciples of them, And my spirit will rest upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the peoples of the earth. And for 2,000 years, that's been the mission of the church. The commission of Jesus is our mission as a church. We can't do all of it by ourselves, but we can do pieces of that mission. Jesus even said in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, all the people groups, and then the end will come. So our mission as a church is to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and then reach out to all of the earth. That was the pattern Jesus gave the early church in Acts chapter 1. We continue with that today. And then the last thing I talked about was we asked the question, well, how's God going to get this message to the whole world? It's a big job. How do we reach the unreached people groups? How do we reach those groups who don't have a representation of God's word in a church in their own area? How do we reach those people? Seems impossible. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You take that tiny little mustard seed and plant it, and it's, once it's planted, it's almost impossible to kill it. And it grows and it grows and it grows until it's not just a plant, it's not just a bush, it actually becomes a tree. And Jesus said the people of the earth will come and find lodging in its branches and protection 
underneath its branches. So understanding that today, I want to go one step further because we're talking about us as a church impacting our world. I'm going to begin in Acts chapter 16. If you have a Bible, you can join us. If you don't have it, we'll have the verses on the screen. In the early church, one of the main characters throughout the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul. He had some different traveling partners who ministered with him. But a lot of the book of Acts is about Paul and his reaching out to the world because Paul is the one who went beyond Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. He's the one that, one of the first ones to go out and really try to reach all of the then known world with the gospel. So here's what happens with Paul. Chapter 16 of Acts, verse number 6. says, Now when they, they speaks of Paul and the team of people with him. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now pause here just a moment. The area known as Asia then was not what we think of Asia today. Asia then was a Roman colony called Asia. And Paul had it in his heart to go to Asia and take the gospel there. That's where he had in his own heart and mind to go. But it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God just nudged them and said, no, do not go into Asia. That's not my plan for you. See, a lot of us struggle because we hear the call of the world and we say, well, I want to go and I want to go here and I want to go there. And God says, no, not there, no, not there, no, not there. And some of us get discouraged. Here's the point. God doesn't need you to go everywhere. He doesn't need this church to go everywhere, but he needs us to go in specific places, and that's where he sends us. For some of you, it might be Starbucks tomorrow morning. It might be the grocery store, the gas station. It might just be go to work. It might just be go home this evening and be nice to your in-laws. I know it's a bit tall order. I know that. I know that. But think about it. God puts us in a place and he puts in our heart to be there. But he told Paul, do not go to Asia. Now look at the next verse 7. After they'd come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. See, what we see is Paul went where the Spirit of God wanted him to go and plant seed. When he wanted to go somewhere, if the Spirit said, no, that's not the place, he said, okay, where do I go next? And the Spirit of God would lead him. We see this throughout the book of Acts. That's what God wants to do through his Spirit in our lives, to lead us where he needs us to go plant his seed. And finally, verse number 8, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. You see, it's as if God says, no, no, I don't want you to go there. No, not there. No, no. And then in the night, God had given him a vision to clarify, here's where I need you to go. And he heard this cry, please come to Macedonia and help us. In verse 10, and after he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So when Paul gets up the next morning, he goes in and says, hey guys, 
we've been trying to go here and trying to go there, and the Spirit keeps saying no. Last night I had a vision, and I heard a man from Macedonia crying, saying, please come help us. And so they put their heads together and said, then that's where we need to go. Every individual needs to be listening for the cry of where God needs you to go plant his seed. And we as a church must be sensitive to the projects and the places where God wants us to go or send people for ministry. So in this story, we see three things. Number one, the cry. The cry. Paul hears it in a vision, and so they set out to go to Macedonia. The second thing we find is they had to take ships, they had to do a lot of traveling, and they landed in a place called Philippi, which is in the area known as Macedonia. When they get to Philippi, some interesting things begin to happen. Paul goes inland away to where the city was kind of established, and he begins to preach the gospel. He's looking for people of faith. And generally in those days, when you talk about the God that we serve, generally it began in those days with Jewish people who related to them. So Paul begins to look for people of faith that he can lodge with and stay with and work with. And somewhere in the conversation in the days he's there, he finds out that down by the riverbanks on the Sabbath day, there are people who gather there and pray to God. So on the Sabbath day, he goes down there and meets to see who's there and who it is they're praying to. And he finds a woman who's a businesswoman. She lives there. She has her own business, her own household. And she, he, he finds that she's a woman of faith. So he comes in and preaches more than she knew. He preaches Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior who was crucified, raised from the dead, ascended to the Father. And this woman in her household received the message of Jesus. Her name was Lydia. So he baptizes her and her household there in the little river that ran through the town. And so the church begins in Macedonia in a place called Philippi. But over the next few days, Paul then begins to go through the city preaching. And you find this in the rest of the chapter. I'm not going to take time to read it all. But after Paul goes and he begins to plant the seed and the seed begins to grow, Lydia believes, her household believes. Paul is going about preaching for several days, declaring the good news about Jesus. But while he's preaching Jesus, there's a young girl that begins to follow him around. The Bible says she was demon-possessed, and by this demonic power, she would attempt to foretell people's future. She was a fortune teller. And if you read the scripture, it says she was a slave girl. In modern-day language, she'd been trafficked there to make money for other men. And so people would come, they'd give her money, she would foretell their fortunes and so on and so forth. These guys made money off of her. She was trafficked. And she began to follow Paul around and she was demon-possessed and she began to say, listen to these guys, they're the voice of God, they're the real deal, they really know God, listen to them, listen to them. And it was causing confusion because there's a spirit of Satan at work here, there's a spirit of God at work here, and Paul became very disturbed by it. And finally, after a few days, he turned around and said, in the name of Jesus, I command that evil spirit to come out of you. And the word of God says that evil spirit left her. Well, the good news is she's free. The bad news is she can't foretell fortunes anymore. And so they, these guys lost their money. And they were angry with Paul. They drug him before the city officials. And finally, they said, okay, let's beat these guys. So they took Paul and Silas. And scripture says they took rods and beat them. 
which was customary in the Roman days. Roman soldiers would take these rods, they would beat victims, and when they beat victims, it didn't just bruise them. It wasn't like taking a ping pong paddle and spanking their bottoms. They would literally beat them until oftentimes their ribs and their arms and leg bones would become broken. They beat them severely, and then they threw them in the deepest part of the jail and said, stay there. Many of you know the story. Later on that night, around midnight, Paul and Silas begin to sing praises to God. They begin to worship God. And after a few minutes, there was an earthquake. And when the earthquake happened, the prison doors opened up and the shackles fell off the prisoners. And evidently, the jailer was asleep, but the earthquake woke him up and he looked around and saw that the prison was open. And he was afraid that the prisoners had escaped. So he grabbed his sword and was about to commit suicide. But Paul ran out and stopped him and said, no, we're all here. Don't do that to yourself. He turns to Paul and says, man, this is the power of God. What do I need to do to be saved? And Paul shared the message of Jesus. He went to his household. This jailer who was well-known in the city and all of his household received Jesus. They then were baptized and suddenly it's the house of Lydia. It's the jailer in his house. The word begins to spread and the church is established in Philippi. Now, I'm telling you all this for a reason. Ann and I were there just a few weeks ago. We happened to go see the ruins. We saw the jail where Paul had been held as a prisoner. We saw the ruins of the city of Philippi. We went down to the river that still runs where Lydia had been baptized. And a church is planted there. And here's what I want you to know. Paul heard the cry from Macedonia. He went and planted seed. In a few days, a church was planted. And 2,000 years later, a church is still planted by that riverside. And people are still worshiping Jesus. That's the power of a seed. That's the power of a seed. I told you last week a little story about 20 years ago, us as a church, many of you didn't even know it, but Pastor Roger Brewer, who was our founding pastor, he helped me in planting a seed in East Africa, the nation of Uganda. We developed a Bible school curriculum, and I read part of the testimonies last week. Over 20 years, thousands of people have gone to Bible school in Uganda, Burundi, and surrounding nations. Thousands of people have graduated being educated in the Word of God, and hundreds of churches have been planted because this church put a few thousand dollars into the nation of Uganda. It's amazing what's happened in 20 years. It's amazing. But that's the principle of the kingdom of God. Plant a seed in water, and God makes it grow. But the second part of my message, I want to talk to you about something that's very important and very near and dear to my heart, and I got into this last week. Paul heard the Macedonian cry in a vision and said, we got to go to Macedonia. This man cried out in a vision, can you come and help us? Paul said, yeah, we'll come. We'll come. Every week that goes by, I hear the cry of people in different parts of our world who are asking for help. I get letters. I get emails. I get phone calls. I get texts. I get all kinds of communications. Can you help us? And we have to pray over it and figure out, God, what can we do? We can't do all of this. What would you have us to do? Lead us by your spirit to what you want the Bridge Church to do. Let me just share a few things real quickly. 
Back in March, as most of you know, Ann and I went on a missions trip. We went first into Israel. We didn't go there on a Holy Land tour. We didn't go to visit a whole lot of sites, although we did go into the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, we did go see the place where David killed Goliath, and that was really cool. I got some rocks some little pebbles up out of the brook. I brought them home. I'll probably preach on David and Goliath in a few weeks. And any, any of you tall guys, I'm serving notice on you now. Be careful that Sunday because I, I got the ammo. But, but we went over there to be a part of preaching in a church and doing conferences for Ukrainian and Russian-speaking Jews who've migrated back to Israel out of Russia and the Ukraine. Their languages are different but similar. They can communicate to some extent, but not real clearly. But they attend the same churches because our dear friends who will be here next week, a friend of mine for 45 years, he went and his wife and family into Ukraine back in the 1990s begin to preach the gospel, build Bible schools, build churches. They built 200 and some Bible schools and dozens and dozens of churches in Ukraine. But as the gospel was spreading through the Ukraine, Ukrainians who were of Jewish descent began to go back to Israel. And when they went, they took their Bible schools and churches with him. Well, now, several years later, they're now running Bible schools and building churches for for Ukrainian and Russian-speaking citizens in Israel. And it's pretty amazing. I think there are eight or nine churches in this group across Israel they've already established. So we went in to minister to these churches. They had asked us to come help them. So we went there. Sunday morning I preached in what is their largest church among those churches, a, a building that's outdated somewhat now. It, it's just a rented space in a big building. It's kind of hard to find. It's not the best part of town. But there's a group of believers there who come every Sunday to worship Jesus. I preached Sunday morning with an interpreter. And then Ann and Pam did a women's conference that evening with women from their churches. And a lot of pastor's wives were there. But what I learned was on Sunday morning being there, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain among those immigrants. They don't speak the Hebrew language. They're trying to get adjusted. There aren't good jobs for their families. They're having a tough time getting reacquainted. And then their families who are back in Ukraine, especially in some in Russia, they're in dire straits because of the war that is there. They can't get support and help from their families. They can't get encouragement from their families because their families are hurting, hiding in bomb shelters on a regular basis. And I watched these people, especially on Sunday evening as they did the women's conference, and I watched these women who were hurting, broken hearts. But when they begin to worship God, they begin to worship in their own languages, singing their own styles of songs. And it was obvious that their only hope is in Jesus. And they're saying, Jesus, can you please come help us? And I, I've got just a clip of the worship from these hurting women that I, I want you to watch and see a little taste of what we saw in Israel. If you'll watch down front, Ann and Pam are going to get drugged into the parade now. 
Now, wh- why did I show you that? Because somebody 30 years ago went in there and planted seed and it spread and spread and spread and the gospel is still being spread today even in Israel among Ukrainian and Russian-speaking people. But what really touched my heart was Sunday evening watching those women first worship and then when Anne shared a message of hope through an interpreter to watch those women come down for prayer and Anne and Pam probably spent half an hour praying with women watching tears run down their faces because they're in dire straits, they're in tough situations and they're just needing somebody to encourage them on their journey. Touch my heart. You see a picture there of Anne sharing with the interpreter there in that building. While I was there, I talked with Jim King. Like I said, he'll be here next Sunday with us in services. But I talked with Jim and with Pam, and he said, these people are hurting, the churches are striving, they're working as hard as they can, but they need encouragement. And they asked, can you come help us? So sometime in the next several months, the next year, year and a half, Ann and I are going to go back over there, and we're going to do a conference. We're going to take those pastors and their wives aside. We're going to encourage them. We're going to speak into their marriages, their families, their homes, their ministries. And the Bridge Church says, yes, we will respond to the cry of those people. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. You're going to be a part of it. Another area for the last, I don't know, 10 years now, 10 or 11 years, Ann and I have been involved in ministry in North India and Nepal. Unusual part of the world, really interesting. Tough travel to get there, tougher travel getting around in those areas. We have a ministry partner who lives there, who's raised there, who's connected with lots of churches, doing an amazing work over there. And we've been there, Ann's been there six or seven times, I've been there five or six times. We've never been there together. We go separately. She does women's conferences. I do men's conferences, speak in churches. And the last four years, three and a half years, we've not been back over there for a lot of reasons. But now that the country has opened back up, now that things are getting back to normal, they're reaching out to us. Can you come and help us? Can you help us with women's ministry? Can you help us with men's ministry? Can you speak into the life of our churches and encourage our leaders and reach people? I believe we hear the cry and we're going to do something to go back and help those people. The Bridge Church is going to be a part of it. I've got a picture I want to show you. This is one of the men's conferences we did in a city called Sikkim. It's actually an area called Sikkim. But... In this area, it's near the China border. It's way up in the foothills of the Himalayas. Beautiful country. It's really a neat place to go, a neat city. But we went there, and here's the cool thing. You look at it and you say, well, that's a decent facility. There is a church there that was planted over 100 years ago by Scottish missionaries, and that church is still alive today. It's a denominational church, but they invited us to come in and do men's conferences to help them encourage their men and teach their men the Word of God. And the amazing thing is, the last time I was there, we actually went over into Nepal. We got all the way to Kathmandu, which as everybody knows has been affected by earthquakes in recent years. But in one of the areas we went, it was a long drive down dirt rock roads. It was one of those things where I prayed on the journey and said, God, if you'll get me out of here, I promise you, I will never come back. It was one of those kinds of journeys. It was like, honest to God, it was like watching an Indiana Jones movie when we got to this old city. And I was like, man, am I stepping back into the 1930s and 40s or what's happening here? 
It was that kind of setting. But I watched as there were men who walked the full day to catch a bus and then rode a bus in and then walked another half day to get to this men's conference. And they came and said, can you give us the word of God so we can help teach our men how to follow Jesus? So touched my heart. We developed a curriculum and helped fund them taking this to the villages, to the remote areas. But they keep crying and say, can you come back? Can you do more? Can you help our men? Can you help our women? The Bread Church says, yes, we're going to get involved and we're going to help those ministries. Then two years ago, we were privileged to go into East Africa. We worked with a family here in our church that has a separate ministry. And we've planted two churches in Kenya where this organization provides the land and we send the funds to build a church building. We've, we funded two and we helped on a third church. Well, our last trip, we went to a little place called Godo. It's a small village way down in South Kenya, right near the Tanzanian border. We got there and we saw the church that we had built. We dedicated the church. And you know, the cool thing, I, I told you last week, it takes so much money to do ministry in America. But in a lot of these foreign countries, you can do so much ministry with so much, so much less money. A little bit of money goes so far. You can build a building in Africa in a small village. You can put a sound system and a generator there, start church, start the music on Sunday morning, and everybody comes to see what's going on. Pastor Corey talked about it last week during offering time. But here's the cool part. In this small village, I mean, it's remote. In this small village, we started this church. It cost us $10,000 to build this building. Two years later, in this small village, they've got 40 people coming to church regularly. Let me go one step further. One of the needs in the village, once they started the church, was a school. They didn't really have good education there. So they started a school in the church, but then they needed the next grade because they started with the preschoolers. They need the next grade, so they added a room. Now they're needing to add more and more because they've had a couple of graduations. So now they're building a school next door. But here's the cooler part. Some of you will remember this. We built the church on this piece of land, but next door there's another piece of land. And the guy who owned it had a little hut there, and he's the village witch doctor. They started having church... And within two or three months, he came and said, let me sell you my property. I'm getting out of here. You people are driving me nuts. <laughs> now, that's, that's my own verbiage. It wasn't exactly that way, but that's American take, okay? I'm getting out of town, and he did. So they bought this piece of property, started building a school. So we're committed the next two years to help them, not fund it all, but we're going to help them build those extra classrooms in that village because here's the cool part. They've got 70 kids coming to school there in just two or three grades now. And most of those children come from Muslim families. So every day they're hearing the gospel of Jesus at their school. The church is growing. The school is growing because somebody came and put seed in the ground. The Bridge Church started there. We're going to continue to help them continue the ministry that God's begun. Amen. I also mentioned last week, and I just want to refer to it, the fastest growing church in the world is an underground church that's growing in Iran, in a Muslim nation, 
and a lot of it is being run and organized by women wearing burqas. They've sent us pictures and said, here's what's happening in Iran, but you can't show the pictures because if they're seen on the Internet, people could lose their lives. Here's the cool thing. There's an organization that I went, I went to a retreat last year and found out this organization has a curriculum to train people to teach the Bible and to follow Jesus. They put this curriculum on a thumb drive. Somebody snuck it into Iran. Somebody plugged it into a computer. Jesus got their heart. And now these churches are spreading like wildfire and people are coming to Jesus every day. And I'm going to tell you something. When they cry out and say, can you help us? The response of the Bridge Church is, yes, we're going to get involved. And, and... I'm going in a few days to a retreat. There's an organization that has, uh, is now providing study Bibles for leaders in these nations in their own language to help them not only get beginning training, but continue their education to lead these churches. And these churches, I, I asked one of the leaders, how did you do this? And he told me, we did not do this. This was something God did all on his own. They are now having Bible studies in some of the mosques in Palestine on the West Bank with imams helping lead the Bible studies because they're talking about Jesus. It's happening, friends, all over the world, and we're going to be a part of what God is doing. We're going to put seed in the ground. I mentioned a few minutes ago, every week I hear the cry, can you help us? Sometimes I say no because we don't have it. Sometimes I say We'll do something. I pray over it to see what God wants us to do. I had uh, lunch this past week with a missionary who's been working in Mexico with a lot of projects for years. I've known him for a long time. We've got a lot of common background. We met for lunch, and we're just having small talk. And he got ready to leave, and he said, Hey, I just want you to know, not too far across the Mexico border, there's a church there that I'm involved with, with a Mexican pastor. The church is growing like crazy, but they're out of space. They're out of room. They need help. Hey, if God drops something in your heart, would you help? And I looked at him, and I said, Yeah, the Bridge Church will help. I don't know where it's coming from, but the Bridge Church is going to help. Now you say, well, why are you sharing all this? Here's why. The list goes on and on and on. There's a cry out there. Can you come and help us? We can't do it all, but we're going to do our part in helping spread the gospel around the world. Then the last part of my message, I want to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians 9. Got to move really fast. 2 Corinthians 9. If you'll remember the TV series Star Trek, how many remember Star Trek? Everybody should. I'm not dating myself this time. They, part of their intro was they're going to go where nobody else would go. I'm about to go where a lot of people don't want to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into some cobwebs this morning that a lot of people don't even want to deal with from God's Word. I'm going to share a couple things real quick. I want you to listen to this. 2 Corinthians 9, let me set it up for you. As Paul writes in chapter 8 and 9, he's talking about the grace of giving, which means it's the nature of God that he's trying to put in our lives. And in chapter 9, here's the context. He's talking about a group of people who were in great need. And he said, you know, about a year ago, several months ago, I told you about this need and you said you were going to help them out. He said, you haven't done it yet, but I just want to remind you, you need to get this help ready. 
You need to get that seed ready. Because the Macedonian church, hundreds of miles away, has already sent their offering. And some of those Macedonians are coming through Corinth. And they're going to want to know what you did to help those people in need. So he said, I want to talk to you about getting this offering prepared to go. And he says, I don't want you at the last minute being under pressure trying to figure out what are we going to do now. So here's what he says in verse number 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. But this I say. In the original writings, he's basically saying, let me remind you. This I say. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Not, Not time out. Most of us aren't farmers. Probably nobody in this room makes their living off farming. But it, common sense tells you, you put three seeds in the ground, you might get three healthy plants. But if you put 30 seeds in the ground, you might get 30 healthy plants. The more seed you sow, the more plants you're going to have. And the more plants you have, the more seed that's returned to you. The more of the gospel we plant around the world, the more people we reach. Verse 10, let's skip down to verse 10. I'll come back to the other verses in a minute. He says, now may he who supplies seed to the sower, it's talking about God. God supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. May he supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. He says, as we give, may God who sees the seed we're planting, may he cause that to grow. May the kingdom of God grow and many, many lives be touched and changed. And he's making a statement. He says, we need to see our seed or our money, our giving as seed. We need to see what we give as seed that we're planting the gospel here locally and around the world. And we need to understand as we give, God is going to use that seed to spread his message. And a seed may be tiny, but it carries amazing potential. And you would never plant a seed without expecting that seed to grow and produce a harvest. You just wouldn't do it. But then he goes on in verse 7, and I want you to see verse 7 because this is so important. It's the essence of giving. He says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity because you're under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. What Paul is saying is my giving is a reflection of what's going on in my heart. Now, my mind says one thing, but my heart determines, what am I going to do here? What am I going to do? And the way I give, whether it's cheerfully or grudgingly, reflects how my heart feels about God and his kingdom and the money that God's placed in our hands. But let's back up for a minute. He said in verse 10 that God gives us bread for food and seed to sow. See, the problem is some of us eat the bread and we eat the seed too. And can I tell you something? Everybody smile at me. Can I tell you something? It takes a lot of seed to fill your belly. It doesn't take nearly as much bread as it does seed. It takes a lot of seed to fill your stomach. But God says you need to understand. I bless your life and there's a portion of what I've given to you that needs to be used as seed for my kingdom. And I'll bless it back into 
your life. You see, an offering, an opportunity to give should never be seen as an offense. People say, well, it offends me. They talk about giving and stuff. Why should that offend us? Because grace is a giving. It's a reflection of our hearts. But then Paul is saying, get this, Paul is saying giving is a grace. It's God's nature. We need to learn it and let God's nature be a part of us. He says, don't refuse to give and be cheerful, but learn to give cheerfully. See, some people say, well, if they just not talk about money and giving, I'd be so much happier. I'd be so much more cheerful. Paul said, that's the problem. We learn, need to learn to be cheerful givers because that's what, part of why God's blessed our lives, to put seed back into the ground. It's good preaching today. Now, I know what's happened. I know what's happened. Back in the 70s and 80s, God began to stir his church about world missions. And he began to stir the church about giving. And a lot of people were preaching these verses and teaching these verses. The problem is, anytime God brings new teaching and new revelation into his church, a new understanding, what happens is somebody goes crazy and runs over here and says, well, I'll tell you what, you give me $100 today and God will give you 1000 on Tuesday. God is not a slot machine. He's not a game player. He's talking about planting seed and trusting him to bless our lives is what he's talking about. And so people run way over here and do some goofy stuff, and then what comes out of that is preachers get up and they try to fight that message, and they say, well, whatever you do, you don't want to believe any of that stuff. So what happens is people stop giving, and they miss the point of God's word, that God blesses us with bread, and he blesses us with seed, but our seed needs to go in the ground, and we need to stop eating our seed and become cheerful givers. Amen. And here's the cool part, verse 8, the same chapter. God is able. Everybody say, God is able. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. See, God says if you learn, if you learn to live with the attitude of planting seed, there will always be harvest in your life where you can plant more seed. That's what he's saying. He'll give enough and he'll give you seed for sowing if we organize our life and manage our lives correctly. Verse 9, as it is written, he's dispersed abroad. This is quoting from Psalms 112. He's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multitude the seed you've sown. See, we're praying, God, multiply my bread. God says, no, I don't multiply your bread. I multiply the seed you sow. And he'll increase, increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now, I'm almost finished, so stay with me. Giving is not subtraction. Giving is actually creating multiplication. You sow a seed, it grows a plant. God is the ultimate giver. He gives and gives and he multiplies what we're willing to give. He gave Jesus. He gives life. He gives breath. He gives health. He gives provision. He gives wisdom. He gives direction. He gives protection. Giving is God's nature because he loves us. In the church, we say, well, that's just the blessings of God. Amen. But why does God bless us? So we can learn his nature and we can begin to give as God gives to us. That's God's plan for us in his church. I come to the very end of my message. 
There are approximately 8 billion people on planet Earth today, roughly. 8 billion people. 42% of those people are what we call unreached people, in unreached people groups. That's 3.37 billion people who do not have a representation in their community of God's church and God's word. They don't have it. God said the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all people. Then the end will come. When people in our world are crying out for help, God is looking for people who will say, I'll help. We'll put seed in their lives. And if we can't go, we need to send those who can. I shared this last week and I close with it today. If you weren't here, you'll hear it for the first time. If you were here, this part's a repeat of what I shared last week. Several weeks ago, God began to challenge my heart about our giving. We, we support different ministries that are doing ministry in every continent on our planet except for Antarctica. And I'm not sure if it's too cold for them to go there or if there's not enough people. I'm not sure what it is. But somebody eventually will go there, and if they do, we'll help them, okay? But here's the point. We put thousands and thousands of dollars every month into world missions, and we don't say a lot about it. I think this is the first time I've really taken this to the church and said, we need to be mindful of this. We've done some projects along the way, and you've always responded. We built 10 churches in the Philippines a few years ago. You are a giving church, and I applaud you. But I'm going to tell you something. God challenged me, and I want to share that challenge with the Bridge Church to take some responsibility for our world and to plant some seed in a world that needs the gospel. Everybody can share in the seed. Everybody can share in the reward as you determine in your own heart. This is not a part of our regular weekly giving. It's not a part of our tithe. It's a separate outreach offering. When you give online or if you give in an envelope, market outreach. This is for outreach, to outreach to our world. And here's what God put in my heart. Through the month of May, the next six Sundays, God's put it in my heart that this church can give $100,000 above what we normally do to reach the world. Now, since they say, well, it's a lot of money. Well, let me, let me give you some good news, okay? Ann and I will never ask you to do something that we aren't willing to do. I told you last week, there are a lot of families who could give $1,000. If 100 families gave $1,000, that would cover it. The problem is some would get left out. So we don't want to leave people out. So I went to, our, to, to my wife first, and we determined what we're going to do. We went to our staff. We have a small staff, small paid staff, because we believe everybody needs to be involved in ministry. We, we have a, a small staff here at the Bridge Church. And I laid this out before our staff. Looked at it this morning. As of this morning, our small staff has committed almost $19,000 to this. Just our small staff. And I don't say that to bring glory to them. I'm just telling you, God's stirring hearts and we're hearing the call. One more story. This past week, we got a call at the church and there was a, a gentleman who was having trouble giving online. And he said, I, I watched it online. I saw the service. And he said, when I saw this, he said, God spoke to me and said, you can help do this. And he committed $1,000, but he was having trouble getting it to go through with his online giving. 
And so they talked to him for a while and got, finally got it straightened out. And then he said, uh, hey, I know the pastor. I went to school with him. So I got the checking. This is a guy I went to high school with. I haven't seen him since graduation, which was like eight years ago when I graduated high school. <laughs> I haven't seen this guy in 52 years. Haven't talked to him in 52 years. This guy happened to see us online. God grabbed his heart and he said, I'm going to give $1,000 to help reach that $100,000 mark. So I'm going to tell you something. There's a cry going out from the world saying, can you help us? I'm not putting pressure on anybody. I want everybody to give cheerfully. But between now and the end of May, above our regular giving, I believe we can give $100,000 to help reach our world. Some of you may say, well, God's stirring my heart to give $10,000. Great. Somebody may say, well, I want to give it all. Well, if that's the case, why don't you just pay off our building? That would help us even more, okay? <laughs> but hear me. I know I'm being light for a moment because I try to be cheerful for those who aren't, all right? But, but here's the point. We can do this. Because God loves the world. The world's important to God and it needs to be important to us. I want to pray a prayer today. Two, actually, it's a twofold prayer. I want to pray that God will put in your heart what he wants you to do. And all I, want, all I ask you to do is do what God puts in your heart for outreach. But I also want to tell you today, maybe you're sitting here today and maybe you're one of those in the world that God loves but you've never yet accepted him. And maybe today you've listened to this and you're wondering, does God really love the world that much? Yes. But what about me? If God loves all of us, God loves each one of us. God may be knocking on your heart today. I want to tell you, God gave his own son to pay for your freedom, to forgive you of your sins, to bring you into his family, make you a part of his household, teach you his ways and have eternal life through Jesus. All he's looking for is for you to say, yes, I believe. I want you to be in my life. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to wrap your heart around this prayer as I pray today. Bow your heads if you would. Father, I pray for people today who've heard this and they've realized God really does love the world. And God really does love me. For those maybe watching online, maybe here in the building who are saying, but I've never really committed my life to God. Father, knock on the door of our hearts today and give us an opportunity to respond. And here's our response. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He came to this earth and lived a sinless life, died for my sins, and was raised from the dead because God accepted his sacrifice. Now he's ascended back to Father. He rules and reigns forever, and he's coming back to earth again. I ask Jesus to be my Savior. Wash away my sin. I give you permission to become Lord of my life. Teach me your ways. I will follow you. I want to know you in this world and in the world to come. I want you to be my father. Thank you for loving me. And then, Father, I pray for every person in this room, every person watching online, over these next six weeks through the end of May, what would you have us do to help reach our world? Show us our part in outreach to the world. You, you care about the world. You love the world. We love the world, too. Thank you for speaking to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you today. You know, this is normally the time of service when we give to God and there are different ways you can give. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your regular giving, but thank you for hearing the voice of God. I'm concluding this series today. We're going to trust God to speak to people's hearts and people are going to respond. God bless you. I love you and appreciate you. Have you enjoyed hearing God's word today? Hey. Have a great, great Sunday, and we'll see you next week.